council still can't dill with the playground zone times. Max off this week, but you're not stuck with just me. I'm joined this week by Julie Cusick, and we'll be talking about all manner of things from the core zone, childcare at city council, to neighborhood engagement, and of course, playground zones. Hi, I'm Troy. And I'm Julie. And we're speaking, speaking invincibly. <laughs> No, no, we're leaving that in. We're leaving that in. (laughs) Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 44. Uh, We're back again. Max off this week. He, again, doesn't care about this podcast as much as me. But in lieu of Mac being here, we have a special guest host again. I'm joined by Julie Cusick. Hi, Julie. How are you doing tonight? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very late. Uh, We're recording at 830 on Wednesday because, and we'll talk about this later, you're a mom of four who is also busy in your life. It's just like scheduling an hour with you can be tough. That's right. 830 is about when I can be someplace. So we'll talk about that a little more and how that plays into council and speaking and getting more engagement from people like you who typically can't show up to council because of family obligations. But first, the rapid fire segment, where you will get three sets of Troy's dulcet tones, no Mac to interrupt. Bountiful Farmer's Market opened this week in South Edmonton to much fanfare. The three-day-a-week indoor farmer's market hopes to change how Edmontonians experience farmer's markets and to create a sustainable shopping experience packed with local vendors. They promise to stick to the 80-20 model which is, you know, 80% being local vendors and 20% being out-of-province vendors, like BC Fruit. Representatives from the market have assured us that they have contracted a very good cleaning company to deal with the tumbleweeds in the 80% of the building. The Edmonton police have reversed a long-standing policy of not releasing the names of homicide victims. The policy, which was often criticized by journalists for being secretive without justification, was reversed by new police chief Dale McPhee, effective immediately. However, in a two-steps-forward, one-step-back manner, a new policy was put in wherein all alleged homicide perpetrators will be published as he who shall not be named. While some have criticized the decision as giving power to the forces of evil by making their names stronger, an official rebuttal came through an email response, quote, As we have learned from the Premier's office, if you can't hear something you don't like, then it didn't happen and everything is fine. Here, would you like some earplugs? In news as shocking as the amount of electricity required to vaporize cannabis, EPS announced this week that they actually overestimated the increase in cost that cannabis legalization would cause. While they hemmed and hawed in a report about the lower supply due to supply chain problems and that edibles are still illegal, and therefore said that they still might have to ask for $1.4 million in the next supplemental budget adjustment, overall, the police begrudgingly conceded that the sky did not fall despite the clouds that appear to be a bit lower, especially around the legislature and White Ave. I'm still going. Speaking of electricity, Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB, and this episode is brought to you by Park Power, which is a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Uh, In Alberta, you get to buy your energy from whoever you choose. Again, I will thank Ralph Klein for that. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. You can learn more at parkpower.ca, and as always, learn more about the Alberta Podcast Network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Julie, you're here. Hi. Um, Yeah, I get to hear your tones in here, and that was a lot of Troy talking. We're going to start with, you're here, you do a lot of city stuff, but there was something that came out a couple weeks ago now that's Julie's in the news again, and that was... Childcare at City Hall. So what what happened? 
you know what? I was just carrying on with all of the things that I happened to be doing that day. And I got a phone call from a reporter saying, hey, what do you think of this? And I was like, whoa, that sounds awesome. Counselor Esslinger, you are on it. That is awesome. So you didn't even, this wasn't you doing puppet strings behind the scenes. This was just like council making good decisions of their own volition? Absolutely. It was fantastic. And it's actually quite timely because just the week before I was in council um, talking about something in my neighborhood and I had to bring my three youngest children with me. And I actually had a grumpy old man in the back um, turn around and look at me really, you know, grumpily and say, get your children out of here. And I knew that they were behaving quite well and were being quite quiet. So of course, I told him such and told him I was there like anybody else trying to listen to see when my um, piece would be on the agenda. And we carried on. But so having the childcare thing um, does help to reach that that nice middle zone where when your children are comfortable going to childcare, you can actually go and do that. They can have more fun than having to be uber quiet coloring in the corner. And um, and you can participate if you need to. We'll take a step back. So what happened last week, Councillor Esslinger, the motion you talked about that you got a call about, essentially what it looks like is we're looking at making city council more accessible for a wide swath of people. And one of the specific motions that's on the table is, well, let's provide free childcare for people who register to speak in advance. Because the idea being, you know, if you're parents, you don't want to have your kids in the chamber and have the grumpy man. You can have your kids in the chamber, of course. It's welcome to the public. But, you know, sometimes when you're there for eight hours, kids might want to have a little more room for play and enjoyable activities because it gets pretty stuffy in council chambers. So the idea is simply, hey, we're going to give a bit of free childcare. And that's what you were talking about. Right. So on the flip side, um, just because we might have childcare at City Hall, it's really important to remember that it is a public chamber and that there might be some very good reasons for bringing children in, um, either as, uh, hey, look at what mom and dad are doing because we believe this is important. We think you should be able to witness this once in a while. Or it could be there's a child that just isn't comfortable for whatever reason in the childcare situation, but is going to be well behaved in the chambers. So they could be coming. Well, there might be a third reason, which was also part of this motion, which was it's not just about childcare. Uh, Councillor Esslinger also talked about maybe giving uh, priority to young speakers or children who wanted to speak to an item and bump them to the top of the queue so that they don't have to wait there all day. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that as someone who you've spoken frequently to council, but I don't believe your children ever have. No, my children never have. Um, they're almost getting old enough to feel comfortable with that kind of idea, but... They're not there yet. However, I have been in council several times where there have been children speaking or for some of the projects I've been involved in, we have actually had, um, you know, the preteen kind of age group come and say something that that was important to them. And certainly it can be tedious, particularly if it's a budget hearing where you have just dozens of speakers to have those children have to wait. So bumping them up is a really great idea. I'm going to get your thoughts on this because... Every time I've seen a child speak at council and like all the power to ch children can be really smart and they can think about things in ways that we often can't and it can give really salient insights. However, I very rarely see that at council because children speak very infrequently at council. And when they do, I've typically seen them as unfortunately like props. Um, often I've seen kids that were clearly like coached by an adult or to just like put the family members opinions on the table in a cute little face because I tell you what whenever a kid speaks to council 
every counselor is on board. They're asking questions. They're really engaged in a way that when you or I speak to counsel, they're just not. We're, they see our faces too much. <laughs> Do you think there's a little bit of that using kids as props and that this might make that worse? You know what? I don't see kids there that often. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's many children that brave to want to do that. Um, nor are there that many parents even who are maybe comfortable with their kid taking on that kind of a role. There might be a few, but I don't really actually think there's that many. So I think what this does is provides an opportunity for those who um, want to participate in that way. And you know what, when you get to your teen years, um, I think there's a lot of teens out there who have very well formulated opinions of their own who want to be able to engage in that public space. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and you don't really even have to look further than the Edmonton Youth Council, which is, you know, a collection of teens aged around 16 to 23 who frequently make recommendations to council. And just last week, there were recommending that we should allow liquor consumption in public parks. And the year before that, it was, hey, 16-year-olds should be able to vote in municipal elections. So we are getting a lot of pretty well-formed opinions by young Edmontonians. One more thing. Yeah. Okay, so with the child-friendly, I think what this does is if we're serious about making decisions about this city that include the perspectives of the most diverse number of Edmontonians and types of Edmontonians that we can, then being able to break down those barriers to participation is really important. And so we know that childcare can be a, a barrier to participation for people in that particular life stage. So, or for example, single parents who might not have a spouse to, to spot them off on the childcare or who might not have friends or family to spot them off on an issue. So those people become vulnerable or they end up just having to opt out of the public discourse in that kind of a setting. And we know that when you go to speak to counsel, that is one of the most effective ways to get your message across. So having the child care there is one really great way to address that particular um, group of Edmontonians. I'd like to get your thoughts. So a couple of weeks ago, Councillor Knack again made his motion to allow phone calls in to committee meetings or using Skype or FaceTime or whatever tech solution that it might be. But the idea being you could be at home or at work and just take your five minutes and call into a committee and have your voice heard. That does accomplish a lot of the same things as childcare, you know, around a different route because you no longer have to be in the physical building. What are your thoughts on that? Were you sad to see it fail or? You know what? I think that there have certainly been cases where I have been part of a group that wants to advocate for something. And there are people who are active people on our committee who want to be able to speak on that particular day, but couldn't get away from work for the entire afternoon or the entire morning or for or perhaps were even traveling out of town, but would be able to make a quick phone call in and not having their voice there was a bit tricky for us. So I think that there can be a legitimate um, real need to have people calling in. I think the risk is, is it becomes more um, of, of a preference thing. Um, and it's a lot more difficult and tedious, I think, for counsel to listen to just a, a bunch of people phoning in. So I think where we can encourage people to be showing up in person, that's really what we should be doing. But allowing there to be a phone-in option when it's needed, I think is really valuable as well for the same reasons of breaking down that barrier to participation. This message goes out to Councillor Andrew Knack. Neener, neener, it failed anyway, despite all the support. I love you, Knack. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to... 
what the point of talking to council is, which is getting things done and important issues. And we've got a couple important issues that you grand pooba head honchoed and spearheaded through. Most recently was the core zone. Uh, We talked about this in a previous episode of the podcast, episode 35 for the astute listener. I think it's fair to say you were the mastermind behind the scenes who rallied the organizers. So what, where, where did that come from? Where, where was the core zone idea born? Well, I think um, it, it came out of some, some critical thinking and some creative thinking around um, the struggle that we've been having as a city to figure out how we're going to slow down our streets because we know that slowing down our streets is where we need to go. And we did adopt Vision Zero, which made a commitment to um, improving our road safety and slower streets do that that is one of the tools available to us through Vision Zero. And um, in seeing that we weren't really getting to a place that would actually make a meaningful impact, rather than let's think about a blanket citywide reduction, and rather than let's think about let's lower it and then make everybody mad because everybody hates driving 30 when they feel like they should be able to drive 50 or 60 because that's what the road's telling them they can do, let's take a geographical approach and let's build success in one smaller area of Edmonton, make that 30, and then put in the necessary investments and adaptable infrastructure to make sure that the road queues make it so that it feels about the right speed to be going 30 when the posted speed limit is 30. And the reason you start in a smaller area is because it would be near impossible to implement anything across the city of that magnitude. So you start smaller, where there's support, where we have higher density, where we have more pedestrians walking, where we have more cycling infrastructure, and you get it right. And from there, you can take your lessons learned and start applying it other places as required. So a lot of people in the past few months when this came up at council and when news org started reporting on it, like core zone, where, where did this idea come from? But this actually isn't new. This is something that's been percolating for quite a while. In fact, you talked about it a year ago at council initially when we were talking about speed reductions, no? Right. So, um, yes, that is true. So I've spoken about speed limits several times over the last few years. And so in March of last year, the speed limit thing came up at council. And at that point, there were lots of different speakers talking about it. And that's when I had pitched the slow zone is what I had called it at that point. And um, it was essentially this idea that we start in that small area. We put it down to 30. We put an adaptable infrastructure. And then I left it. And it was like, I planted the seed, whatever, like, we'll see where this goes. And I didn't actually think about it again. And then I had um, somebody um, come and speak a year later at council when speed limits was coming back. Um, That was the meeting where council said, oh, let's do 40 citywide blanket speed limit reduction, no adaptable infrastructure. Let's just do 40 citywide, be done with it. And one of the other speakers there was really dissatisfied with that and remembered, um, you know, my slow zone idea and got in touch with me and said, Julie, we got to do this. And I was like, all right, let's do this. And so in chatting with several other people who would like to see slower speed limits, we came up with um, the core zone proposal as it currently exists, where um, we've called it the core zone because it's about the geography. I'll admit I was one of the speakers at that March meeting last year who was speaking alongside you and I spoke against your idea of the slow zone because at that point, Troy was idealistic and thought, you know, we can get 30 
the entire city wide. This is fine. And when it became clear to me that council was not going to do that, that's when I got on board. Because like you said, the core zone, it's a pragmatic approach. It's we cannot do the entire city and do it well at once. We need to start somewhere. So you talked about the core zone along with several of us. We had almost 16 speakers, I think, all in favor of some form of speed reduction. And council voted in favor of putting together draft bylaw amendments and proceeding forward. I thought council responded pretty strongly in favor, like very optimistically, even some councillors who in the past had been pretty reticent for speed reduction. I'm thinking specifically like Tim Cartmel, who had hemmed and hawed in the past, and he's a very suburban councillor, so he was a risk. He was one of the strongest advocates on council for it. Was that surprising for you, or is this something that you sort of expected? What we did is we were able to show the different perspectives around why this makes sense, and we were able to bring together a lot of Edmontonians in a short amount of time. Let's be clear, we had a little over a month to put this all together, um, which is not a lot of time. I think that council knew at this point they have to make a decision and they have to move forward in some way. They were seeing a loud, clear message that 40K citywide didn't really fit the bill and that a core zone idea might be a good option. The votes indicate that council is full on in support of the slower speed limits. Core zone, some details need to be worked out. And I think it's amazing. They they went further than we ever imagined because we thought, let's just stay at core zone and not worry about anything else right now. Let's just focus our efforts on the core, get it to 30, put in the adaptable infrastructure and leave everything else at 50 for now. And here they are saying, no, that's not good enough because we need every Edmontonian to have slower speeds because we know that's the right thing to do. And even the core zone itself, we went with a proposal of 30 residential local, 40 collectors and council like, Nah, we'll go 30 both local and collector because that's the safe thing to do in the core. And that was, again, surprising to me because we we went with like the pragmatic approach of, OK, we're going to give something that's safe. Uh, we we want a bare minimum of safety, but we're going to give you a political out. And they jumped feet first in, which was surprising and surprising in a very good way. One of the criticisms that has been levied against the core zone in the past has been that it's sort of an idealistic minority opinion that we're shoving down the throats of Edmontonians who just want to drive their trucks in peace. And like you said, it was a month of rallying some support. But how do you respond to that criticism that this isn't what Edmontonians actually want and this is sort of a minority wedge opinion? Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all, because the amount of feedback we got on this in a month was incredible. And not only that, the major criticism that I would get from people was, well, why aren't I in the border? How did you draw that border? Why can't I get in? And I said, of course you can get in. Talk to your talk to your neighbors and make a pitch. Pitch it to council. Pitch it to admin. Let's see if you can get in. And the evidence isn't there to say that, um, you know, Edmontonians don't want this either. Um, when the city of Edmonton has done engagement around this and they've done engagement over and over and over. And I believe Councillor Knack was one of the councillors that mentioned this during the public hearing, as well as Councillor Ben Henderson. There is clear support for lowering residential speed limits in their surveys that they've done out with Edmontonians. It, the question is, should it be 30? Should it be 40? And I think there is a clear split in urban suburban neighborhoods. And that's what the core zone proposal did. Is it recognized that and said we can get past this? So we're not done 
quite yet. There's another vote in January of 2020 where the draft bylaw amendments come back and there's a final vote to ratify them. Is the core zone working group, you and all your advocacy done for now? Is there anything more you can do? What, what can we expect to see between now and January? Or is it basically hands off council, balls in council's court? What admin has to do is draft those bylaws. And one of the things that they're going to need to do is figure out which collector road should be exempted from the default speed limit in that zone. So there might be collector roads that act more like arterial roads, for example, that should be a little bit higher than the default 30 or the default 40. We should expect that the city of Edmonton will be doing some consultation around that. The core zone group, I think right now we're taking a little bit of a breather, but come closer to January, come the fall, we will certainly be mobilizing again and making sure that people are engaging in the things that the city wants to do and also engaging with one another and their neighbors to make sure that council does hear from people who want to see this happen. And I would also expect that the Edmonton Federation of Community Leagues will be doing some work around speed limits as well. They are a citywide organization and I wouldn't be surprised if Paths for People did a bit of work on this as well. At this point, I'm optimistic and I get the sense you're probably optimistic as well. We've had, got pretty good support from council. And this wouldn't have been the first success story you've had in traffic safety because over in your home neighborhood of Queen Alex, there was neighborhood renewal and 10676, which was a project to make streets more livable. Can you give us a brief overview of what happened over in Queen Alex and what your role was in that? Right. So back in 2013, the city of Edmonton came to our community league and said, hey, we're going to do neighborhood renewal. This is how it works. We rip up what you have and we put it back exactly the way it is, but it looks shiny and new. And we have two really busy collector roads that cut through the middle of our neighborhood. So we essentially have four quadrants of our neighborhood, all divided by 106th Street and 76th Avenue. And we also have painted bike lanes at the time on those roads that the cyclists weren't using. They were either on the sidewalk or they just weren't cycling. And we had drivers mad about those bike lanes. We had the cyclists mad. And then we had a bunch of kids who weren't allowed to cross the street to go to the neighbor's house or to the playground or walk themselves to school because it simply wasn't safe or didn't feel like it was safe enough. And we also had people complaining about speeding quite a lot. So we said, if we're ripping up everything, why wouldn't you put it back in a better way? And so what we came up with, um, a bunch of neighbors got together, we came up with a vision for our neighborhood, walk, bike, live, and a set of principles that we thought would be necessary ingredients to get us to that vision. And um, some of the other things that we we talked about too was the complementary nature, right? If we can make the streets become more welcoming for all road users, then we're going to see more life on those streets. We're going to see people start to cut their front lawn again. We're going to see people decide to invest in maybe the new roof that might be overdue. And when people are cutting through the neighborhood on those streets, they can see what a wonderful place it is because now all of a sudden it's more pleasant to live there. So you weed your garden. So you cut your grass and everybody's like, "Ooh, wow, I'm tired of my commute. Ooh, I'm going to come live here. And that's what we wanted to see happen. And you have seen that happen, haven't you? Like you've mentioned in the past that there's some new children and families in your neighborhood that you've never seen before because people are moving there. Absolutely. I used to know, I swear every single child in the neighborhood. And now I look out and there are all these kids. I have no idea who they are. And there's families walking by or biking by. I have no idea who they are. And that's great. Yeah, it's, it's a good problem <laughs> to have. So essentially, 
what happened, the city went in, they had their neighborhood renewal, which was like for like, and you said, no, that's not good enough. We got to organize a working group to fix this problem. Unfortunately, I live in Hazeldine. Um, we had neighborhood renewal only a couple years prior to Queen Alex's, and we got like for like. That was, there were some minor improvements, but we didn't have any sort of champions in the neighborhood. So for the next 25 years, it's nice. We got new sidewalks. We got clean roads and it's a narrow set of streets we don't have anything as busy as 106 and 76 was but you know i i would have i would have loved a increase in safety and livability and you know vibrancy and there's lots of neighborhoods like that what do you think the best path is going forward on this because we can't just rely on community champions to you know fight the system and rise up and make things better uh, we need a better system in place no Of course. And one of the beautiful things about the QA Crossroads project that eventually when the city decided to to accept that is they decided to partner with us along with several other communities to do the Engage 10676 project. And that pilot project was actually not a pilot on road infrastructure. That was a pilot around engagement. How do we engage differently? We came up with some really great stuff in terms of how that engagement should happen. And it has completely changed the way that the neighborhood renewal process happens in Edmonton. And so the neighborhood renewals that are starting this year are going to be the first ones that will be completely starting at the beginning from the Engage 10676 process that we set out. So what that means is the city comes in to the neighborhood, says, hey, what's your vision Let's let's make this community vision and let's talk about this. And I think that's really great because it respects the local experience that that people have there. And then it also respects the technical expertise that the city engineers do have. And then it's in the marrying of those two, that community experience with the technical expertise of the city that we can really make good things happen. And I think the city's transportation department now, um, or the in- integrated infrastructure department, um, has really come a long way on their engagement. And I'm really excited and really looking forward to see what comes out of these new engagements. 10676 Queen Alex neighborhood renewal is basically done. There's still a couple tweaks and a couple small patches that are like being done on the bike lanes, especially on 106. But for the most part, you're done. Yeah, we have to get a few trees replanted and we need to get a whole pile of sidewalk cracks fixed. For whatever reason, we've got a lot of cracking on our sidewalks and we have been following up with the city on that and hope to hear from them very soon. So yeah, but on balance, mostly done. Um, is it everything you imagined and dreamed of? Were there any things that really jumped out as, oh, this is better or a little bit worse or different than what you thought might have happened? It is unbelievable that it it worked it's amazing (laughs) like one of the best things is i can hear the leaves rustle on the street now you couldn't hear that before because it was so noisy with cars the other thing is um there's a teenager next door now and they're bringing all their friends around and they're all going on their skateboards all over the place down 106th street that wouldn't have happened before that's awesome it's great. There's kids crossing the street. There's families riding their bikes with little toddlers on their little run bikes. That is so cute. And it's happening. And people are talking on on like people are walking on the street and talking with one another and they're not avoiding that street anymore to walk down. It's great. All right. So on that happy note, let's talk about playground zones. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so we have to get some real news in this week. And this week, uh, 
playground zones came up again. There was a, a motion made last May. Counselors were looking for a bit of additional information on seasonal playground zones. The crux of that motion would be, you know, it's really, really frustrating when it's dark at 6 p.m. in January and I have to go 30 in that playground zone. That was the sentiment that counselors were saying their constituents were forwarding along. So that report came back this week and by and large, the report was, nah, playground zones are fine. That was what the city report said. Um, But there were some uh, choice quotes from counselors. I'm going to throw up a couple quotes and hope to get your uh, responses on them. So first from Cartmel. But if we simply say, if you see pedestrians, the onus is on you to slow down within this zone, 230. uh, That places the responsibility is set right where it should be. And that's on the driver. Saying we don't really need playground zones. Your thoughts on that? I think that works great in an ideal world. The trick is, is that you don't always see the pedestrian. And if you don't see the pedestrian, you'd better hope that you hit them at a slower speed. And so having that safeguard in place where your more vulnerable pedestrians are going to be, I think has value. Yeah. And I would argue also, just like you said in Queen Alex, um, you had cyclists afraid to go on that painted bike lane. If drivers had to slow down to 30 whenever they saw a cyclist, but we're going 50 or 60 all the other time, cyclists wouldn't choose to go on that road because there are fast cars. If cars aren't slow all the time in an area, that area doesn't feel safe and people don't go to it. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, I would argue. I would say that perhaps this confusion might be a reason for the core zone, which Hey, that's kind of where my mind is at on this. So if we have a zone in the city that is quite large, quite clear, quite consistent that the residential and collector roadways are 30, then guess what? You reduce that driver frustration having to look at the speed signs to speed up and slow down all the time. Wait, it gets even better because then we have adaptable infrastructure as well. In particular, right around those key areas where we for sure, for sure need drivers to be going slow. We want to make sure they don't have to rely on that speed sign, but they can rely on the other cues of the road because the road is more narrow, because there might be a raised crosswalk, because there might be something else there. The report also did some myth busting this week. Um, One of the counselors, Councillor Mike Nickel, went on Edmonton AM this week and said, quote, in the middle of January, it's minus 20 out and I'm driving past this white asphalt called a soccer field. Why am I driving 30 kilometers an hour? Which is a sentiment that's echoed by a lot of Edmontonians. But it was really fascinating to look at the report this week. While the um, the collisions are all over the map and when they happen, it's seemingly random. The bulk of them actually occur within our winter months. The largest number of collisions for uh, all road users in standalone playground zones uh, it actually occurred in January. And then most of those collisions occurred after 5 p.m. What you're seeing there, it's, it's a blip of data and it's only a year and you can't treat that conclusively. But the myth that like we don't need it in winter because it's dark out and kids aren't playing... I think winter is actually when we need it the most uh, because specifically it's dark out and some kids are playing, but you don't expect to see them. Hey, let's combine the Councillor Nickel and the Councillor Cartmel statements now. Can we do that? So if the onus is on the driver to see the pedestrian and travel appropriately, but then we've got Councillor Nickel saying, well... Why am I doing that? Because I don't see anybody. That is exactly the problem. And that's why we do need 
the slower speed limits with the adaptable infrastructure so that everybody's going slow where it matters. Yeah. Uh, So the result of this is it did get sent back to administration to get more research. Uh, Essentially, council voted, hey, you can go study other jurisdictions, see if anywhere has done a... um, you slow down when you see pedestrians zones. Spoiler alert, no one has. It's a stupid plan. That's not how traffic safety works. Uh, but admin will go back and do the research. Only one counselor voted against, which was Counselor Paquette, who basically had the thing like, no, we don't need to research this. This is a bad plan. A lot of counselors would argue that, and I've argued this in the past, like with Paquette's free transit motion, more information is better than less information for making a decision. But there comes a point where actually that, isn't true anymore because the questions you ask can signal a lot about your values and by council asking the question this week it actually raised a problem because ctv ran a story with the lead headline a confusing and mixed message from city hall today about playground zones the reporting makes it seem like council is unsure if playground zones are even necessary or that it's a cash cow all all these sorts of questions get lumped together because council decided, okay, we're just going to get more information, even though we know they're not going to act on it. Information can be a double-edged sword. We live in a winter city with quite a bit of darkness. And we know that our physical activity level of everybody, but also children, is quite low. And we're not getting that passing grade from all those people who study that kind of thing. We also know that playing outside at playgrounds is free. It is accessible to all Edmontonians, no matter your socioeconomic background that you were born into. So having accessible playground zones is so important to helping all Edmontonians thrive and especially our children. They need to have safe places outdoors that they can play. And a big part of that is how they get there, which is on their feet. Speaking of accessibility to broad socioeconomic backgrounds, whether you're dreaming, building, or growing, ATV Entrepreneur Centers offer a powerful set of tools to help your business and personal finances grow together. You can chat with a small business expert, join a community of like-minded Albertans, and get some valuable advice along the way. It's just another way that ATB will always be more than a bank. You can visit the ATB Entrepreneur Center, locations in Edmonton, Calgary, Grand Prairie, and Lethbridge. You can check out atbentrepreneurcenter.com to learn more. And center is spelt R-E because we live in Canada. And that's all for this week. Mac will be back next week. But Julie, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me on. Oh, okay. Wow. We're... All right. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, we're very good at this. Until next time, I'm Troy. And I'm Julie. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs>